And every day, everybody in the family came either from school or work at noon and sat down at her table. And she cooked until practically 90. Coming up on OkraCast, Chef Bill Smith remembers the dinner table in his great-grandmother's home. Also, Chef Ida Mamusu recalls learning to cook from her grandmother in Monrovia, Liberia. She's a good You have to get to know your pot. You have to get, you have to fall in love with, with your pot. This is OkraCast from the Southern Foodways Alliance headquarters at the University of Mississippi. Keep listening. and welcome to OkraCast from the Southern Foodways Alliance. OkraCast maps food culture across the changing American South. Each week, we introduce you to the dynamic people, places, and traditions of our region. This week's episode is an ode to grandmothers. First, let's pull up a seat at Crook's Corner in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where Bill Smith remembers his great-grandmother Inez Ship. All right, I come originally from eastern North Carolina. The town is called New Bern colonial city, very near the sea. Uh, when I was a kid, um, people ate their big meal in the middle of the day often. It was uh, part of the tradition of, a, I think, a working society where people ate heavily while they did their work. Um, and I came from an enormous family. Uh, both parents had lots of brothers and sisters. And, but the main cook that I remember is my grandmother's, I mean, my mother's grandmother, my great-grandmother, who presided over um, a lunch table or a dinner table, she'd call it, my lord, um, right downtown in New Bern. And every day, everybody in the family came either from school or work at noon and sat down at her table. And she cooked until practically 90. Her name was Inez Ship. She was the daughter of a lighthouse keeper out in off the, off the coast of North Carolina. And um, she cooked what I think of as traditional Eastern North Carolina food um, with some Yankee thrown in, she used to say, because her, her grandmother had come south from Philadelphia. And so we would have, for instance, leg of lamb and stuff, which Southerners in Eastern North Carolina at least did never eat. Uh, we had tripe a lot, and, and nobody ate that that I'm aware of. And then she'd do your regular things. She would do collards and black-eyed peas and summer vegetables and... Uh, she was a good dessert cook. I was talking to my mother about this actually the other day. We're, we're, she comes up a lot because she, she, she's inspired me in my work without my even realizing it until my, lately, I think. And um, we we realized that she had this big dinner every day for everybody, and it could be in, you know any number of people. It was a big dinner table with a tablecloth, and you had to behave yourself and everything. And and yet we don't remember her being in the kitchen all the time. She wasn't like she got up in the morning and went straight to cook. We don't remember her doing that. We don't know what she did, but anyway, I think if you run a kitchen all the time, then you, a lot of stuff's always ready. But we found that re remarkable. <laughs> that was Bill Smith of Crook's Corner. When you come to my house, come down behind the jail, I got a sign on my door, barbecue for sale. 
Next, oral historian Sarah Woods speaks with Ida Mamusu in Richmond, Virginia. Mrs. Mamusu was raised in Monrovia, Liberia, where her grandmother had moved as part of the American Colonization Society. The society was a movement sending freed slaves back to Africa. In 1980, Mrs. Mamusu fled war-torn Liberia and came to the United States. Today, Mrs. Mamusu owns a restaurant, African on Main, and runs Chef Mamusu's cultural cooking school for young girls. In her interview, Mrs. Mamusu remembers the profound influence of her grandmother. Can we, can we start by, um, can you talk a little bit about where you grew up and how you got to Richmond? I grew up in Monrovia, Liberia, West Africa, and under the under the guidance of my grandmother, and and um, she was a chef and an entrepreneur herself, and I learned everything that I know today from her. Can you talk a little bit more about your grandmother's influence on you? I mean, in what ways do you carry her with you? When I was a kid, I was. As according to what they said, I was very unusual. I wasn't the type of kid that loved to play on the outside like the rest of the kids. I was always inside with my grandmother, wanting to learn something. And my grandmother, being a very very creative uh, a lady, she did a lot of uh, very domestic. She had a restaurant also. She had a convenience store. She had a laundry. She had a bakery. She had just everything. And so she took me under her wings when I was nine years old, between eight and nine years old, and started training me. And one of the, the things that I remember the most was she always gave me these gold stars. So on my wall was all these awards that I won from Grandma. And it meant so much to me because it was an accomplishment. For example, uh, let's say, uh, we were cooking uh, sauce, and she and I learned how to make that sauce, and I perfected it and everything. And she felt that it was the way it's supposed to be. Then I get a, an award and a gold star for that particular sauce, and then we went on to the next thing and the next thing. And so that's how I was. She was able to train me. She made me love it, and she made me care about it, and she and she made food a part of me and as an art. Not really to cook it. She used to have these terms like, she used to go like, you have to get to know your pot. You have to get to, you have to fall in love with, with your pot. And uh, we had like a little patio where she sat outside and propped her feet up because she was a little bit a heavy lady. And she would instruct me how to cook from that. She never even went to the pot. And she would make me stand there and tell her what the actual pot is doing. And I would be like, Grandma, it's being and she would be there, okay, it's in the middle stage. Now that I think about it. And I would go through all of these changes, but it was different stages of the sauce and what stage it was in. And then she would say, smell it. I would, and she would say, what do you smell? I would, what do you smell? Identify your smell. And she would be all the way like over there yelling. It tentified the smell, and I was like, I smell pepper, I smell this, and, you know, and I was started identifying the uh, different spices from just smelling it, well, even tasting it, and that's the kind of training I got from her. It, I learned the art of cooking from her, not necessarily cooking, but just the art of it. That was Ida Mamusu speaking with Sarah Wood. Head over to our website to read more about Ida Mamusu, whose interview is part of our Women at Work in Richmond, Virginia oral history project.
That's at southernfoodways.org. Her transcript is richly detailed with stories about bringing her family to the United States from Liberia, teaching young girls to cook in her cooking school, and what it means to be a female entrepreneur in Richmond. Also, feel free to browse other oral history projects while you're online. We have over 800 interviews from across the American South to choose from. We'll catch up with you again next week. I'm Anna Hamilton, and thanks for listening. Overcast is the soundtrack for the Southern Foodways Alliance, bringing you the stories behind the food. The Southern Foodways Alliance documents, studies, and celebrates the diverse food cultures of the changing American South. If you're hungry for more, visit us online at southernfoodways.org and consider joining us as an SFA member. I want to hear the story of how it came to pass. Okay. All right.